Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Our football insider subscribers had questions for Mary Kay Cabot. They sent them in. She answers them here on today's edition of the podcast. Now you want to be a football insider subscriber. It's really easy. You go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a blue banner at the top of the page. You click there. That's where you get info and get signed up. You get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox every day. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. And you can become one of our text subscribers. All of this, look, training camp's coming up. You're going to want to get involved with all of this before training camp starts. So again, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. All right, here we go. Our Tuesday Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Our buddy Robert Seltzer, Mary Kay from El Paso, Texas. Hey, Mary Kay, the scheduling gods did not do the Browns any favors by pitting them against the Chiefs in the first game of the season. Do you think Kevin Stefanski and his assistants are already crafting their strategy for that game? And how crucial is it for the Browns to win or at least have a good showing? Well, you know, when you think about it, the Browns are going to lose some football games this season. And if you look over the entire schedule, you would probably look at Kansas City on the road as one that they could possibly afford to lose. I mean, look, they went into Baltimore and got beat and yet went 11 and five and made it to the AFC divisional round. So you can afford to lose an early game, especially if it's not uh, an AFC North game. I I think they can afford to lose it if that happens. It's almost better to get that out of the way than to have some momentum and have it sort of shake your faith in yourself. If that happens in week 10 or 11 and and you lose that game, Uh, you would wonder, are we ready? Can we handle this kind of a team? It's all, it would almost be better for them to get that one out of the way, sort of see where they're at, win it, obviously, if they can, if they lose it, you've got the whole rest of the season. And then you would know what you have to do by the Obviously, their defense will be just trying to get its act together. That will be their first game out altogether. You know, they might not be 100% gelled yet. Uh, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough game. I, I just don't think it's a deal breaker by any stretch of the imagination if they lose that game. So I, I was on with Doug and Scott a couple of weeks ago. It was one of the weeks you were off. And I feel like everybody's just scared of this game. Like they're scared of this football game. And I, I got to say, it wouldn't surprise me if the Browns won this game. I, just, I, I think, first of all, whenever everyone is just kind of saying, ah, they're going to lose that game, who cares? And everybody's kind of going one way. A lot of times it's really smart to go the other way. But the other part of it, too, is like, are we sure the Chiefs are going to be like completely whole for that game? They've got a completely new offensive line that's never played together. Frank Clark just got charged with a felony. I mean, that team's not exactly just sailing along right now. Patrick Mahomes is coming off a foot injury. Didn't he have surgery? I I think there's things that the Browns, I understand the Browns have new defensive players and they have to come together. They have to gel. They have to learn how to play together. That's an issue against that offense, but I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if the Browns won that game. Well, it wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, when you look at, if you just were to pit position against position and you said, Who's got the better running backs? Who's got the better offensive line? Who's got the better defensive line? 
Who's got the better secondary? I mean, the Browns 100% stack up in at every position and are better at some positions. The one area where I think we can both agree that the Chiefs have the edge right now, as long as he's healthy, uh, is in at the quarterback position. And that can trump a lot of things. So they, they at least for right now, have what you would consider to be uh, the better quarterback. But once again, I think the Browns are built uh, to win as a team. And, and I definitely think that they should be able to win a game like this, especially because once again, their defense is built to go up against a team like the Chiefs and beat them. That is a major reason why they got some of the guys that they did. Uh, it's why they're they're going heavy with guys that can cover tight ends and things over the middle. It's the JOKs and the John Johnsons. They're built to go the distance this year. And I agree with you that the Chiefs are, you know, they're coming off a bad blowout in the Super Bowl, which Travis Kelsey has already said that's just sticking in his craw. You know, the Browns gave them a really good battle in that game. And, you know, who knows and what, you know, would they have still given him, given them that same battle had Patrick played the whole game? You know, it, it's tough to say. Uh, they didn't have much of a defense back then. Now they do. Now they've got really, really good guys on their defense. And there's no reason why they shouldn't go into that game thinking that they can win it. Will they? Maybe. Will they not? Who knows? Uh, not catastrophic either way. But for sure, I think that plenty of us will be picking them to beat the Chiefs in the opener. Yeah, I just think it's it's one of those things where I, I get it. I know Kansas City is one of the best teams in football. I know they're a Super Bowl. They may end up as the Super Bowl favorite. I haven't looked at odds recently. But I just I know I know Andy Reid is an absolute monster when it comes to opening games and coming off bye weeks and all of that stuff. But I also think this coaching staff for the Browns knows how to get these guys ready to play. And to uh, to Robert's question, you know, yeah, they're they're going to be spending their time getting ready to play the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to find ways to kind of poke these poke these players and get them ready and get them motivated for that game. And it might feel a little bit like how they came out in that Pittsburgh game. I'm not saying they're going to jump out to a 28, nothing lead or whatever it was, but you might see that kind of like that, that fire and that, Hey, we want to get some revenge. And I think we've seen some of it on social media a little bit too. These guys are certainly circling that game as a statement opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about it, they're going to have an explosive offense right from the jump this year. Now the chiefs did a pretty nice job on taking key guys out of the game last year obviously as we all recall Jarvis Landry didn't have a very big game Austin Hooper didn't have a very big game Nick Chubb didn't have a very big game so they did a really nice job defensively of neutralizing some of the Browns strengths but you know the Browns are going to be ready for that this time and furthermore uh, now they've got Odell Beckham Jr. and that just adds a whole new layer and an elite level player on your offense and it changes things. It changes how they have to defend you. And it, once again, then you add in a way better defense. And I don't think it's going to take them forever to gel as a defense because they're so smart and they are have such high football acumen. I just don't think it's going to be one of these things where they're just bumbling around for five games. I, I just don't see it that way. This is a good coaching staff. They'll have them ready to play. All right, Baker Mayfield question. This comes from Sarah in Solon, Ohio. I know a Sarah in Solon, Ohio. I wonder if this is the same person. Who knows? Hey, Mary Kay. I've heard a lot on ESPN lately referring to Baker as either average, mediocre. I, I don't, that might be a little much. I think he's normally thought of just kind of outside that top 10. Uh, is it more likely that he's actually a top-tier quarterback given what he's accomplished in this Browns organization that was in ter turmoil when he was first drafted? She says that even Patrick Mahomes might have struggled under Freddie Kitchens. Well, I agree with that. I think that any quarterback that you had brought in here uh, before this regime came in, I, I think it would have been tough sledding for a lot of them. You know, would Josh Allen have been Josh Allen here? Would Patrick Mahomes have been Patrick Mahomes? Would Lamar Jackson? I don't think so. Would Lamar have been Lamar? I mean, these, these guys flourished in the schemes that they were in because they had continuity and they had good schemes and they had great, great coaching, which Baker finally has now. That's one of the reasons why I always think that maybe they will look uh, at doing the extension about six or seven, maybe even eight games in the season. Once they have one year of Baker Mayfield under Kevin Stefanski after the lights came on so they could say, okay, now this is the body of work that shows us what he's capable of and what he's going to be going forward. 
I think that Baker is much better in terms of his ranking in the NFL that he's been able to show because of the regime change. Sometimes I, and I've said this before, I think you could kind of throw 2019 almost out the window. I mean, it was so bad, so dysfunctional, so discombobulated that it's just really hard to grade and evaluate him on that season. I think the real true evaluation of Baker Mayfield for the most part starts midway through that last season. That's who he's going to be for the Cleveland Browns. And to me, that looks like an elite level quarterback. And I've said this before too, though, lots of bad defenses down that stretch, lots of bad defenses. Okay. And they have to be, they have to take an unflinching look at that and they can't be afraid to say, Hey, we got a little lucky down the stretch with some of the poor pass defenses that we faced and some of the softer defenses, because we're going to have probably some tougher tests this year. We can't rest on our laurels. We've got to be creative. We've got to be different. We've got to be on point. Yeah. I, I think that he does some things as well as I've, as I see any other quarterback in the NFL do them. One of those things is the ability to nail it when he's on the run. He does that so well. You get him out on the keepers and the boots and you get him on the move and he doesn't have to have those feet set. He doesn't have to be perfectly aligned. He's got enough torque in his body and in his arm to make really difficult on the money throws when he is moving. And again, I, I see him do that as well as many other quarterbacks in the NFL. He's right up there. That's an elite level skill set that he has. It will serve him well, and they will even take more advantage of that this year. You know, I think some people, when they want to be critical of Baker, they throw out like system quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, he's never really been in a system in the pros. <laughs> he had his offensive coordinator got fired half a season into his rookie year and his head coach too. And then he had Freddie Kitchens for like a year and a half. But like you said, 2019, we just kind of throw it out because it was just such a mess once Freddie was kind of outside of that sort of, I don't know what we want to call it, that, that cushion that he had in that second half of 2018. So, yeah, I, I just think this is kind of the first time we've actually seen him in a system that plays to his strengths. And that's, I mean, that kind of goes for every quarterback. There's maybe two or three guys who are like, that guy can transcend any system, any offense, any talent. And then everybody else, you kind of, there's got to be some things tailored to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much has to do with what is going on around you. I mean, is Sam Darnold uh, a, a mediocre quarterback or not, maybe not even a, a very good quarterback? Or was he just caught up in a really bad situation for himself? You know, sometimes you just don't know uh, the answer to that. Uh, but the person on ESPN that has been the hardest on Baker, uh, as we all know, by now is Mike Tannenbaum. He used to work for the Cleveland Browns back in the day. I knew him when he was here and he's been, I don't even know if you can say that he's being hard on Baker. He doesn't feel like he's being hard on Baker. He just feels like he is providing a realistic evaluation of Baker Mayfield's talent. And what he is seeing doesn't shout elite quarterback to him, but I have to wonder, are some of these guys still a little bit jaded by what happened in 2019. It's hard to forget when you see a whole season of that. And if you don't know the inner workings of why, of what was going on there, you would just look at Baker and think he's not a a very good quarterback in 2019. I mean, that's just what it looked like. When you really know what was going on behind the scenes, you can understand that no 24 year old young quarterback in his second year would have been able to thrive or flourish in that environment. And think about it too. Not only, I mean, was that messed up because you, you had Todd Munkin trying to hold things together when he knew it was a disaster. And I mean, it was, there were just so many moving parts, you know, you had Drew Stanton trying to like keep poor Baker's head above water. I mean, it was just, it was just not a good situation. The year before that, remember you had Baker Mayfield, like hating on Hugh Jackson. I mean, not just some kind of a disconnect, there was animosity there, right? So think of all the turmoil that he's been through with all the different personalities that he has had to try to manage. He was 23 years old, 24 years old when all this was going on, and he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And that's a tough gig, what he had to go through. Now, 
everything around him is completely stable and normal and functional. And not only that, it makes sense to him. He's a smart guy. The system makes sense to him. And he's got case there in his ear saying, this works if you just do this, right? And so he's so bought into the coaching now. And I think case has been a big part of helping him with that too. But you've got, when you have Alex Van Pelt, who helped Aaron Rodgers to some of his best career seasons, you know, you're going to trust that. You are going to trust what he's telling you. When you've got Kevin Stefanski, who, who has worked with some amazing talent in, in his career and, and has that track record, you know that these guys know what they're doing. So uh, I, I think the Baker that we started to see midway through last season is the one that you need to start evaluating in terms of his upside with the Cleveland Browns. And I think the future is very bright. Dave Barnes from Richmond, Virginia has a camaraderie question. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, it feels like the Browns have been building camaraderie even before training camp. It also feels like the national media still likes to minimize Baker's skills and contributions to the team. We kind of just touched on that. But do you think that disrespect for Baker will even further that camaraderie and make the guys want to rally around him? And, and I liked this question because, you know, I'll say this. It's sometimes hard for us to see it, but I just do get the sense that this team and look, there's 53 guys, right? It's, it's going to be different player to player, but I do get the sense that this team really does. They do seem to like each other. They really do. And here's a reason why that is, Dan. Here's one reason why. Because when you get a bunch of guys that are very similar in terms of, of their personalities and their, again, their football acumen, the example that I'll give you is like, when, when we talk to like a John Johnson, and then you talk to Greg Newsom, you can just envision those two guys meeting up in the locker room and becoming instant friends. They're very similar. They've got similar personalities you know, similar backgrounds, just in terms of, you know, schools and what they've been through and where they've gone and how they think. And, you know, they're, they're great guys to talk to. Uh, so I think there's going to be sort of an instant chemistry because you are choosing not only a football skill set that includes, you know, tough and accountable and all those kind of things, but you're almost choosing a personality for this football team. And that personality includes gym rat, love the game, totally accountable. You know, there's just a certain set of characteristics and traits that these guys have that when they meet each other, they don't have to like try to get along. They already feel like they've known each other for a long time. And I asked, I think it was um, Jadavian Clowney about that. I asked Jadavian Clowney about, about that during minicamp. I said, I watched you guys every day in minicamp. I watched that defense. They were goofing around with each other. They were horsing around. They were, you know, jumping on each other. They were laughing. They were competitive. They, they were doing all these things that they looked like a defense that had been together for several years. And I think that's because of who they are. You know, you know what it's like when you meet somebody out in the world and it's just like instant friendship. Like you just connect with somebody. And I see that going on with this defense. They are having instant chemistry. They, they, chopped off like at least months and months and months of what it would take like for guys to get to know each other uh, just because of the kinds of guys they're putting on this football team. And, and then the other part of this question was, do you see guys maybe rallying around, you know, when there is that disrespect out there for their quarterback, do, do you think that the guys will kind of rally around that? Well, absolutely. 100%. I mean, all you have to do is look at Browns is the Browns. Uh, from Juju Smith-Schuster to see what kind of lather this football team can work itself up into when it needs to. I mean, they parlayed that little phrase into kicking the Steelers' butts. I mean, they just did. I mean, I'm telling you right now, that's not that game without that little help from Juju Smith-Schuster. It's not that game. And you you might want to say, guys are professional. They don't need to, you know, ex external things like that. Wrong, 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 wrong. Every coach will tell you they'll use anything that they can find to get guys fired up. And Mike Tannenbaum is doing Baker Mayfield an enormous favor by dissing him this offseason. An enormous favor. Nobody in Cleveland wants a Baker Mayfield that doesn't have people against him. Nobody wants it. <laughs> Nobody wants it. Baker's teammates don't want nobody to be against Baker because Baker works best 
when somebody is lighting a fire underneath him. He's always been like that. That is his MO. That's why he's here. That's why he was the number one overall pick. That's why he was the Heisman Trophy winner. That's why he could walk onto two teams and kick some butt and be the starter. Because when you tell him that he can't and we tell him that he's not good enough, uh, he is going to go out and prove you wrong. So, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Baker's agents are in cahoots with Mike Tannenbaum or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, but he's doing Baker an enormous favor. And not, so not only will Baker rally around that, but his teammates will rally around that too. They'll use that and anything else they can and need to, to get themselves, to get their game faces on for the season. Okay. We had a bunch of roster questions as you'd expect, because we are getting that much closer to training camp. When people listen to this, we're going to be exactly two weeks away from the first real day of training camp, which is on July 27th. So Ty from Montreal, he gave us some names. Hey, Mary Kay, which two of these names have the best chance of making the team? So here they are. Dearness Johnson, Mac Wilson, Jojo Natson, Drew Forbes, and AJ Green. So of those five, I'll say I'll read it again. Dearness Johnson, Mac Wilson, Jojo Natson, Drew Forbes, and AJ Green. Keep two. That's a tough one. That's a tough one because you can make a case right. for all of those guys. For, for many different reasons. And we've talked about this many times on this pod. Initially, I thought that Mac Wilson was treading very thin ice uh, because of the guys that they brought in to play weak side backer. And because of, you know, last year, he just didn't have the year that was expected. Uh, but he has attached himself at the hip to Anthony Walker. He's getting better. He's worked his tail off. He's healthy this year. He had a hyperextended knee last year. He's got another season under his belt and he had a really nice spring. So he's kind of come up off the mat. So I'm going to keep him for right now. I'm going to keep him. I guess things could change as we go through training camp, but, but he's on the keep list. And then uh, if I'm only allowed to keep one more, this is, this is tough. This is really tough because, because Jojo Natson, you know, you can make a case for him because of the special teams, but they also added an Anthony Schwartz. So maybe, you know, not that Anthony's going to be able to return kicks and everything exactly the way that, that Jojo does, but you know, there are some elements that overlap there a little bit. All right. I'm allowed to keep one more. I kind of like AJ green's potential. Was, so I, that was one that I had in mind just cause he's a corner. Yeah. I think they might keep more corners. Right. Let's do AJ Green because we watched him in uh, in training camp last year, and there was a lot to like there. Okay, he's a good young developmental player. He's a really good young developmental player, and if you don't keep him, somebody else is putting him on their football team, and he's almost to the point where uh, he's ready to get some good defensive reps and start to work into a rotation and see what he can do. He had a nice camp last year. Yeah, you remember. I mean, he had a really nice camp. Uh, so let's do that. Let's keep Mac and AJ. I, I don't hate keeping those two. A, AJ was on my list. Surprisingly, Mac kind of ended up on my list as I talked through everybody. Dearness Johnson. I think Dearness Johnson would cancel out JoJo because yeah. he can return and I think mm-hmm. he can do more. So I think if you kept Dearness Johnson, I just don't see how JoJo Natson makes it unless they really love him as a returner. So I had gone with AJ Green and then maybe Drew Forbes mm-hmm. just to be that extra swing guy because they don't, I don't know who that's going to be, but right. there, there's probably somebody else on the roster. You know, I mean, James Hudson is going to make it. Right. Um, you know, it, it depends how many offensive linemen they keep. So I, when I looked at this question, the two I picked out were, I had AJ Green too, uh, and then Drew Forbes. But honestly, Mac Wilson, it was, it was kind of between Forbes and Wilson, and I, and I could have made the case for, for Mac as well. Yeah. And again, you can make a case for a number of these guys because of the depth that you need on the football team. And I'm going now, if you ask me this in in another month and a half, the answer might be different, but Mac had a good enough spring and raised enough eyebrows that for right now, I have to put him on the keep list. Okay. Tyson from New Braunfels, Texas has two questions. They're on, on each side of the, on each side of the spectrum. So the first one, Hey, Mary Kay. What two players do you think have the best chance for an unexpected breakout career or near career type year on this football team? I got a similar question to this recently. And one of the guys that I mentioned was Ronnie Harrison. 
because I think that Ronnie has an opportunity to possibly start ahead of Grant Delpit just because Grant is coming off the ruptured Achilles. And, and Ronnie is healthy this year, okay? Uh, he had a sh shoulder injury last year that cost him the back end of the season. And he also didn't arrive on the doorstep until September 3rd. So he didn't know the system. He couldn't play as fast as he normally would. I think he has the potential uh, to really make some noise in this defense. I think this defense is very well suited to him. I think they really like him a lot. And I mean, really, did we even know that much about Ronnie Harrison before the Browns traded for him last year? I mean, I mean, that trade, I remember I was driving home uh, from practice that day and they made this Ronnie Harrison trade. And it's not like I almost drove off the road. You know what I mean? Like I did pull down a side street and write the story, but I didn't, <laughs> but I did not almost drive off the road that they acquired Ronnie Harrison. I have to like, I had to like really look him up and figure out who this guy was. So I think that he is a good candidate for having a breakout kind of a career type season, especially as it relates to takeaways. I think he's got a nose for the football. I think he kind of, he's got, good instincts. And I think he is around the ball enough to recover a fumble, force a fumble, get an interception. I think you're going to see some more of those takeaway type plays for him, which are so vitally important. So he would be one of the guys I would mention. Wow. This is a tough one um, because I, I really like the potential of Donovan Peoples Jones this year, but my concern for a breakout type of year for a player like that is opportunity. I don't know how much of an opportunity some of those guys are going to get on offense because there's so many of them. There are so many of them that are really, you know, really good and deserve to get the ball a lot. So I just don't know if Donovan Peoples Jones will get as many targets as he probably should get this year, but he's a candidate. I mean, he falls in that category for me of somebody that could have that. What about Anthony Walker. No, I, I don't think not Anthony Walker. I mean, if, if, if anybody else, Tack McKinley comes to mind. Because oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, that's it, a good one. Yeah. You know, I mean, Tack has an opportunity here, especially depending on what happens with Jadavian Clowney to come in here in a place where he is valued and respected and really liked a lot to come in here and get his career back on track. So let me go with Tack. And you know what? That would make Doug so happy too. So let's, <laughs> Let's throw Doug a little bone today and go with Tack McKinley. I like those two. Uh, I'm I'm actually I'm hovering very close to probably Terry calling me Ronnie Harrison's agent. I'm really like based on what we saw this spring and, and what I saw from him last year. I'm really excited to see what Ronnie Harrison can do in this defense. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's a really good one. And then yeah, Tack kind of in that that third defensive end role. Mm -hmm. I think he'll get some opportunities to just sort of do what he does best, and he's, there's yeah. not going to be as much asked of him. Like you don't have to be this team's top pass rusher. So yeah, he, he could certainly have that, that career. Now the other side of this question was uh, excluding miles Garrett, which two player injuries would cripple or severely hurt the Browns chances to make the playoffs if they were out for the season or an extended period of time. Well, I'm going to say Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Number one, uh, even though I do think that case Keenum has the capability of, of stepping in and, uh, and winning some games for you. You know, you haven't really seen Case do that in several years. I still think he is, is perfectly capable of doing that. He's still young enough to do that and still, you know, has the same skill set he did when he went in, when he went 11 and three in Minnesota. Um, so let me, but let me say Baker Mayfield uh, because obviously, because he's your starting quarterback. And then I'm thinking of three guys after that. I'm thinking of three guys. You probably are thinking along the same lines with some of these guys. So I'm going to name, I'm going to narrow it down to three and then maybe we can pick the one that we decide it's right. going to be or something. Okay. So Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward. Okay. And my rationale, Denzel Ward, you got to have two really good starting cornerbacks. He's your lockdown guy. He's heading into uh, his fourth season. He should have a Pro Bowl season this year if he stays healthy. That's what you would expect from him. When you pick a guy number four overall, you, you want him to be making multiple Pro Bowls. So this should be a Pro Bowl year for him. And I think you need to have I think he needs to have a really, really good season. And then Nick Chubb, 
again, I think he, he's just such a special runner. This is not your run of the mill running back. Okay. He transcends the position, which again is why I think that they will end up paying him because he deserves to be paid like one of the best running backs in the NFL. He is that arguably the best pure runner in the NFL or right up in the top three. Uh, So I think that would be a really, really challenging thing to have happen. And then Jarvis, you know, I'm, I'm saying Jarvis over Odell because they, they did, they functioned without Odell last year and they've got some pieces that they can mess around with this year. They've got some speed. They've got some other, other guys that they can fill in here and there, but, but Jarvis is sort of your workhorse receiver. You know, Jarvis is, is kind of your money guy. Uh, so those are the three guys. Do you have other candidates that would you, you would throw in here for this one? I think those three are good. I think the offensive line is so good that they could probably survive a loss there. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Jack Conklin right. would be on that list, but I think like, I mean, they won a playoff game without Joel Batonio last year. Right. So, you know, losing one of those interior guys as good as they all are, I think you can survive. Right. I, you know, the Jarvis one, I can't even think about because he just doesn't miss games. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's never missed a game due to injury. You know, the right. only game he's missed was that weird COVID thing. So I can't, I mean, I can't even entertain that. Denzel is Denzel is interesting because we know he's probably going to miss some games, but not enough to like torpedo your season. I think that's actually a good choice. I think Denzel, as you were going through those guys, mm-hmm. I think Denzel was the guy because even though, you know, we saw last year, Kareem Hunt is a step back as a runner from Nick Chubb. You can, you can figure it out. I think I'd go Denzel knowing, yeah, he might miss three or four games this year anyway. But if you lost him for the season, right now you're talking Greedy Williams or Greg Newsom is your number one corner and Troy Hill's outside and I don't right. know, MJ Stewart's playing the slot. And, you know, I don't know. It's just this domino effect that I think could really take this secondary you've invested so much in and just completely, you know, shuffle the deck and, and it would just be a mess. I mean, it's a great question. And we always get such great questions from our tech subscribers and we greatly appreciate it because they really come through for us every single week with questions like this and we have thought about this question and honestly I I almost think that this team is is built almost too deep enough that and I mean I mean too deep not too deep I mean (laughs) the number two on on the depth chart it's deep enough that you can withstand almost any major injury on the team. Like you can, you can absorb most of them. Miles is the number one injury that would be really hard over the length of the season uh, to overcome. And the reason why they were able to do it last year when he came back from COVID and he wasn't himself, 50% of miles or even 60 or 70% of miles is just as good as, as a regular defensive end. So 70% of miles is fine. And then you had Olivier Vernon that he just stepped up his game. It's like, he knew that he had to take his game up a notch that it was going to be on him and that the responsibility was on him uh, to just to fill that void. And he just started right off with a bang with three sacks in that first game that, uh, that miles was out. And he just kind of kept on going to the point where he ended up with nine something. So, you know, even if you lost miles, you know, if Jadavian and Tack are on point and playing up to their capabilities, you could even overcome that. I think this 2021 Cleveland Browns team is built to go the dis- distance, even if they do have some major injuries and you have to plan for like three pretty serious injuries throughout the season, especially because the bye isn't until week 13. Okay. Guys are going to get tired. They're going to have to manage that very well from training camp to week 13 when they finally get a break they're gonna have to rotate a lot of guys in and figure that whole thing out and then you've got 17 games for the first time so that factors in to how you manage things and then they can potentially play three or four more games after that you know so it's it's built to go the distance but you have to be you have to be lucky and you have to manage it really well okay so that brings us to this this is always this is always fun to talk about we, we don't have an answer from Kevin Stefanski about this. Uh, a question about preseason games and how the Browns might manage uh, some of the preseason. This comes from Gary. And Gary, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name, but Gary from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, Mary Kay, how much will Coach Stefanski play the starters in preseason games with nine new defensive starters 
Darius hoping that Stefanski plays them enough to get fully ready for Kansas City. Also like to see Baker and the offense get enough reps to be ready to go. How are you expecting Kevin Stefanski now in our first opportunity to see how he approaches the preseason, approach the preseason? I think he'll be a little bit conservative. I think that, you know, they know that they got through a full season and playoffs last year without having any preseason games. And they do need to get some work in, but, you know, you just don't want to be losing guys that late in in the preseason. You just don't want that to be happening. And generally you're going to get, you know, some concussions, you're going to get some pulled hamstrings and you're going to get those things. And so I think they'll be conservative because uh, they want to get to that Kansas city game really nice and healthy. I don't think you're going to see the starters play three quarters of a game. I mean, I could be wrong. We haven't had a chance to ask him about this yet, but if you're doing that, like in the second preseason game, it could be a little risky. It could be a little risky for what you're trying to accomplish. So I I would take it easy. And the other thing uh, that I do not like that they're doing, and that is they're doing joint practices against the Giants. Not a fan of joint practices. I understand the thinking and the rationale behind why they do it, but I just think it lends itself to some fighting. Look what happened when they (laughs) remembered that. I mean, when when the Browns went to Indianapolis and – now that's not going to happen because that was a, a Freddie thing. That was just our, the first sign that the Freddie regime was just not going to go well. When they sort of stood back and allowed all these fights to happen when they said they weren't going to fight against the Colts. But I just think those joint practices lend themselves to some flared tempers and some injuries that are just unnecessary. And in the midst of a pandemic, I don't think you should be exposing yourself to Uh, a whole nother team full of players, especially in part because players don't have to be vaccinated. So you don't, I mean, nobody's going to know who is, who is, I I just don't, I just don't think that's necessary in the middle of a pandemic. I I could do without the joint practices. How do you feel about them, Dan? I don't mind. I mean, for us, it makes it a little more interesting, but Mm -hmm. it it is a little strange. I, I do think it's probably better. It's more controlled, right? You can have a more controlled environment. I thought the year we went to Tampa for those joint practices and it was the Browns mm-hmm. and the Bucks, and we watched those. Yeah. I thought those were pretty under control and it mm-hmm. was very, there weren't as many team competitive periods. There was a lot of like, they were working on the teams were actually working on separate fields and stretches. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought those were good, good practices. I mean, you mentioned Indy, that was just a train wreck. <laughs> and, and a lot of that stems from Freddie. I think they'll keep things under control. I think this coaching staff is going to be smart about it. I think Joe judge is going to be smart about it. Although he's got a little bit of that, mm-hmm. you know, competitive kind of football guy edge to him that, that makes you a little nervous. And Freddie's on that staff. Yeah, so, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't love it. I don't think it's necessary either. And, and I'll just say this. I, I understand wanting to see guys in the preseason. And I understand that idea of wanting to get guys ready to play, but Injuries are always bad, but the worst injuries are when they happen in camp and in preseason. Yep. Like you don't ever want to see anybody get hurt, Yeah. but it's going to happen. And you just, you don't want it to happen in meaningless situations. I don't think you have to sit your starters and they never see the light of day in the preseason. Right. But I don't think you need to push it either because I just don't think nobody's doing anything exotic or interesting in the preseason. I'm almost surprised that the players that the NFLPA and the players allow there to be these joint practices because it really almost is like playing another preseason game. Now, generally, you know, you're not going to have full contact and things like that, like you do in a game, but you remember, we talked to a veteran player. I mean, I can say it. He didn't, I mean, Sheldon, we talked to Sheldon Richardson uh, about the joint practices and he basically said veteran players hate them. I mean, they hate them. It's like playing, it's like playing another preseason game or a game. You know, like you, you just, you have to, and then, then you've got young guys trying to like prove themselves and different things like that. I'm actually surprised that the NFL is allowing it and the NFLPA are allowing it during a pandemic and, you know, in this new CBA. Yeah. I was surprised it wasn't more of an issue in the new CBA, but it it seemed to not come up. And then, yeah, I I mean, even, you know, with the pandemic still going on, it's like, do you really want these teams practicing jointly? I don't know. It's, it's sort of strange, but yeah, I, I wouldn't expect this group to really 
take the preseason. I don't want to say not take it seriously, but I wouldn't, I would expect them to be careful. And the reality too, in the NFL, and especially now with 17 games, that first month of the, of the regular season is the preseason now anyway, in a lot of ways, obviously Mm -hmm. the games count, obviously guys, guys play harder and it means more, but you see teams kind of grind along through September and they're still trying to figure things out. And then they really kind of get going in October, November, December. And, and with 17 games, I think it's only going to be more like that. Yeah, and these guys, this is a football team that relies heavily on walkthrough type of, of putting things out on the grass. It's not a, a very intense, you know, practice that, you know, even when fans come out to training camp this summer, they're, they're not going to see a whole, whole bunch of, pad crunching and tackling to the ground and heavy hitting and things like this. This is a football team that, that relies a lot on the cerebral part of the game. And they, they'll put in, you know, in the installation, the, they, they do just a lot of uh, situational football in terms of thinking about it. And here's where, here's where you go. Here's what you do. Um, but they don't necessarily go full speed all the time. And I think that did help them get to the end of last year and in, through the playoffs. Okay. Before we go, I want to throw this out there because I saw this today, actually, before we came on to record, we talk about travel sometimes on this pod and and the cities we get to go to. And from the Boston globe, Ben Volan, who's been covering the Patriots forever. uh, He did a city ranking of, you know, where he's traveled and and the cities that, that he's gone to. He ranked all the NFL cities. Cleveland came in at 16th. Which okay, what I, I I feel like it's hard for us to judge Cleveland because like we live here, we know the city so well. I don't know how I would view Cleveland as a visitor. I might really like it. I might shrug it. I don't know. I think I'd actually really like it as a visitor. But that said, I, I want to some of these cities in front. Uh, so New Orleans is number one. That's a pretty good number one, right? Yeah, it's all right. I, I don't think I would have put it number one, uh, but it's not a bad number one. Okay, he's got Green Bay number two. So we were talking about this before we came on and, and I contend at least that if you took like first energy stadium and dropped it into green Bay and then put Lambeau field in Cleveland, green Bay wouldn't be nearly as high on this list. No, not at all. I mean, and, and this is what we also talked about. Is it a list of the, the city to visit or the stadium? Right. And I, I guess he's doing a combo package there uh, because you're right. The only reason why Green Bay gets bumped up to number two here is because of Lambo and the mystique and the aura of Lambo, which is really, really cool. Uh, so I guess you can make a case that that it belongs up there at number two for that reason. But just in terms of the city itself, I mean, let's be honest. Like, what is there to even do in Green Bay, Dan? What are you doing when you're in? Green I, Bay? I don't even stay in Green Bay usually. Yeah, I usually end up staying in like Appleton. It is yeah. kind of cool, like the tailgating, you're just sort of in a neighborhood and then the stadium pops up. Buffalo is actually kind of the same way. Right. So the tailgating is in people's yards and stuff like that. So, so that's kind of cool. I mean, it's a cool atmosphere. But right. if we're talking right. about the city itself, it's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. Now, Miami's number three. So if we're just talking about the city, obviously that's got to be high on the list. Not a great yeah. stadium to get to, though. Yeah, and well, now, I'm guessing that Ben brought a little bit of his bias to the list, like anybody <laughs> normally would. A little AFC uh, East heavy. Yeah, well, he um, he lived in Miami for a long time, and he has an appreciation for Miami. And Miami's great. I mean, Miami is a, a very, very fun city to visit, uh, and it's just, it is a great stadium and all those sorts of things. So it's got a little bit of everything. Uh, and once again, he lived there for a while, so he really understands and loves loves the city. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think you can make a case for, for Miami being up really high. We, we don't need to go through every every city on this list ahead of Cleveland. Las Vegas is ahead of Cleveland. Tennessee, I, I suppose some people could argue with Nashville, but that's a good trip. Seattle, Denver, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Los Angeles. These are some of the cities he's got ahead of Cleveland. He's got Buffalo at number five. I think that's the kind of the biggest point of contention. Yeah, and I wonder about that. I would, I would like to ask him what his so he, thinking. He calls it the perfect football weekend with your buddies. You stuff your face with chicken wings and watch college football on Saturday night. Niagara Falls is 45 minutes away. Bill's games are a blast. The tailgating scene is legendary. Well, first of all, you're not, you and your buddies, you're not, you're probably not going to go to Niagara Falls 45 <laughs> minutes away, right? Like you're going to be drunk. 
you're going to be full on beer and chicken wings and you're probably not going to go see the pretty falls i would think don't don't drive to niagara falls that's what we're telling (laughs) you that's the situation don't drive to niagara falls please yeah and i mean maybe you would but um but for the most part i'm guessing that that might not be part of your trip that's something that you might do with your kids or your family or something like that but um but yeah i thought buffalo was a little bit high uh, because you can do all of those things in Cleveland as well, except for the falls. But Cleveland, Cleveland feels like a city, like a, yeah, like a real Cle- city. Cle- yeah, Cleveland is more of a city than, than Buffalo. Um, still good bars, great restaurants, great food scene, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, the flats are getting good again. I remember back in the 80s when I was um, first starting out in this business, the 80s and early 90s. Baseball teams used to love to come into Cleveland because the flats were so fun. I mean, the flats were legendary back then. And if you go back and talk to uh, some of the old major league baseball players from that era, I mean, after games, like they'd be all over the flats. It was really cool for that reason. It was a, a memorable destination. And I think that's one of the, the most fun things about a city is where you kind of know where to go right? You can kind of know where to go to eat and you, and you know where to go to have a beer. And that's what the flats used to be. It'd be kind of cool if that starts to happen again. And there are some cool, cool things down there now. Uh, But like when, when the Super Bowl was in Indianapolis, it was one of my favorite Super Bowls. Now, of course, the weather cooperated that year. It was like in the sixties. I mean, it was, the weather was phenomenal for a Super Bowl in Indianapolis in February. But Indy, and when like when we go there for the combine, you know where to go. I mean, there is the main street with St. Elmo's on it. That's where all the bars and restaurants are. That's where you see everybody walking up and down the street. And that makes it fun. That makes that's what I think makes a city fun is when where when there's like sort of that destination and you kind of know where to go. Nashville's that way, right? In Nashville, you know, you know where to go when you go out. Dallas, I don't know where to go when I go to Dallas. (laughs) Right. Like, where do you go? I mean, even New York. I mean, you can go to the meatpacking district and things like that. But most part, you know, in New York, New York, there's so many things to do that there's not sort of like a destination. Even the Super Bowl there that year was like, where does that where's everybody going? You know, it was almost too big. Vegas. I just got back from Vegas myself, Dan. I was not there to gamble and I was not there to see the Conor McGregor fight like some of my Guys that I cover, Baker Mayfield, Austin Hooper, Dave Njoku, Odell Beckham Jr. were all at the fight. Unfortunate fight. Poor Conor McGregor, wishing him well. I was there to see Cirque du Soleil shows. That's a whole nother podcast. But anyways, Vegas is amazing. Have you been to Vegas, Dan? Long time. It's been a long time. How long? Oh, geez. I don't know. You were like too long. Like you were young? I don't want to make people. I don't want to make people think I'm super old here <laughs> you're not you get carded when we're on the road it's been a okay? long time it gets carded when we're on the road <laughs> and it always kind of puts me into a little bit of a funk because of course i never do unless i go to target and then i get carded and then i feel better about myself again because everybody gets carded at target but i digress las vegas is fun okay it's really really it would be really hard not to have fun in vegas why well, it isn't that stadium right at the end of the strip? Yes. Like right near the strip. Yes. I was just there. I mean, the, everything is about the Raiders. You know, it, it's just the, the city is booming right now. If you were there a long time ago, then the next time we go there for a Browns game, you're in for a treat. Now, some people can only take Vegas in very small doses. Most people can only take Vegas in small doses because it's so crazy. But I would have to think, where does he have Vegas on this list? He's got them high. He's got him four. Four. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair. I was going to say Vegas, Buffalo, Vegas, Buffalo, Vegas, Buffalo. I'm taking Vegas over Buffalo. <laughs> Just say. The more we're talking here, I think Cleveland needs to be higher. I, I think Cleveland deserves to be higher on this list. San Francisco is 15 and you're not really in San Francisco. Arizona's 14. Eh. Yeah. Indianapolis, right. Kansas city is 11. I, I think Cleveland deserves to be higher. Here's the one that I take issue with. And I just, I want everyone to know when I judge these cities, I judge them in part on how much I like running there. Okay. <laughs> so he's got Baltimore at 25. And like, there's nothing like going for a run on the harbor. 
right. you get up, you get a nice, you get some miles in on the Harbor. So I'd have that one higher. Uh, Cincinnati, he's got last on the list. And I think, I think it's a little unfair to Cincinnati. I think that's a nice, now granted, a lot of times I stay in Newport when I'm there, but yeah, you know, you, you, again, running, I, I run back and forth on the bridges and, you know, yeah. that ballpark area, the stadium area is, is nice. I think there's a case to be made for Cincinnati being higher. Well, here's the thing. We probably have an appreciation for the AFC North cities because True. we go there all the time and we find things to do and we enjoy them and we love them. We always have a great time in Baltimore. A lot of us writers go out together. We, you know, we all get together and uh, go to dinner and that's always fun. So I think we would have put Baltimore higher because we always have such a great time there. So, yeah, I, I suppose it depends on the prism in which you're viewing uh, the experience. I mean, if you like to drink and party, then, you know, then you're going to put Vegas way higher. I mean, if you like to, you know, whatever, it, it, it has to do with probably, you know, what you like. But um, I think, I don't think 16 is a bad place to put Cleveland. It's I think bad. you could have made, it's not bad. You could have made a case. I, I think people that have never been here before would be pleasantly surprised if they come in the nice weather and you do things like, like if, I mean, I'm telling you, like if Cedar Point were still, if you made a weekend and you went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Cedar Point, and then you go out on the lake and do something, uh, and then you go to the flats for dinner a couple of times, and then you go to Playhouse Square uh, and see a great show, you're having a really, really good time in Cleveland. So I think a case could be made to go a little higher. And I think if I were traveling in for a game, you know, just for work, you know, you get there on Saturday, I think there's enough to keep you busy, good places to go eat. Yep. You know, go out. It's it's. I mean, it's pretty walkable downtown. Yep. You know, the and stadium's tough. Better. The stadium's tough to walk to, but whatever. You yeah. need an Uber or something. See, right. I think Cleveland probably deserves to be a little higher in this. Maybe he's only been here in bad weather. Maybe that's the problem. Well, I will say that his his wife <laughs> is from here. His wife is a Shaker Heights girl, so I, he couldn't put them too low, and maybe he just want didn't want to be too biased and put them too high. So, sort of in the in the middle ish. Uh, a little bit above middle is, is not a bad spot for Cleveland. Um, but Cleveland is also going to get better uh, if, the, if the plans that the Haslam's and the city and the county are working on uh, come together and they make it even more lake friendly and more walkable. I think it'll have, uh, you know, that's why Indianapolis is so cool because it's just planned out well. You don't, like, you don't even have to go outside to get around. There are bridges and things like that or in walkways. Once that stuff happens in Cleveland, I think Cleveland will jump way up higher on the list. Now, now to his credit, he put New England at 20. So this is not like a homer list. Right. To his credit, he put New England at 20. Foxborough is a pretty miserable place to get in and out of. Once yes. you're there, it's great. Well, right. the, the football is great. Everything else around it is just kind of like shopping plazas and right. bass pro shops. But, <laughs> but the football, the stadium is cool. But if you look at that in terms of spending the weekend in Boston, right? That's then that the changes that whole trip. I mean, who doesn't love Boston, right? So if you stay in Boston, I mean, that would have to go higher on the list than 20. Yeah, but that's, that's a good what, like 40 minutes? I don't know. Now we're talking about travel times. All right. Well, that'll do it for this Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Appreciate everyone who sent us in their questions. Uh, I keep telling you, you got to get on Football Insider now. I mentioned earlier, we're about two weeks out from training camp starting, and you're going to want to be a Football Insider by then. So go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. And also make sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.